Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm so glad that you tracked us down and found us. I hope you're having a blessed day wherever you may be in the Universal Church. Well, what a blessing it is to welcome Brian Holdsworth to this edition of the podcast. And Brian, such a he's got a lot going on in his life. He's got a full life. He's a, a family man. He's got his own business. But he also takes the time, makes the time to share his faith uh, so eloquently and thoughtfully through his YouTube channel. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of his videos already. And if you haven't, please go and, and check it out. Brian's got a great ministry. So we're going to get to a conversation with Brian right away. And I was thinking about this quote from St. Catherine of Siena, one of the great saints in the Catholic Church. And it goes like this, quote, Be who you were created to be, and you will set the world on fire, end quote. And if you look at the life of St. Catherine of Siena, she lived in some pretty wild times in the church. And we're living in some very challenging times as well. But the great things about the saints, especially St. Catherine of Siena, so many other great saints, they've given us the roadmap of what we need to do in challenging times, like the ones we're living in right now. We need to live life in a state of grace, loving Jesus Christ with all our hearts, first and foremost, getting out of our lives of sin, getting away from even your occasions of sin. Because when we live in a right relationship with God, we will set the world on fire, starting with ourselves first, and then going to our spouse, to our children, to our family, and then to our greater community. And I totally understand. Life is busy. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of things that keep us occupied. And a lot of them, uh, these uh, these events, these things that we get involved in, are in and of themselves okay. They're good. They're not evil or anything like that. But I am asking you, and the question I ask myself is, what can I do to do something a little bit extra for the kingdom of God, to bring Jesus Christ to others, to my family, to my friends, and to my community. And the really cool thing about Brian Holdsworth is I think he's followed that call. I think he knew and recognized that Jesus was asking him to do something a little bit extra in addition to all the things that he's already doing in his life with work and family, but he is doing something extra in order to evangelize and reach out to uh, people, not just Catholics, but but all people of goodwill. And he does such a fantastic job of that. I'm so blessed to call him a brother in Christ, and a fellow Albertan just like me. So without further ado, here is Brian Holdsworth. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Brian Holdsworth is an evangelist, speaker, he's a business owner, and of course, very well known for his fantastic video commentaries on YouTube covering various aspects of the Catholic faith. But most importantly, he is a family man, he's a husband to one, father to seven, and our brother in Christ. Brian, it is an honor to have you join us here on the Catholic Connect podcast. Thanks, David. It's an honor to sit down with you and, and be a guest. So good. Well, we're both kind of the suburbanites, I guess. We're, we're from the uh, the Edmonton area. And it's always kind of funny whenever I talk to somebody from, uh, well, even other parts of Canada or the U.S. here on the podcast, it does come up often. They say, Brian, Brian Holdsworth, did, you know, are you neighbors with him? Or how does that work? <laughs> I was like, well, we're a little bit of, bit of a bigger city here in Edmonton, so we're not quite neighbors. Yeah. And uh, the Archdiocese of Edmonton is quite large when it comes mm-hmm. to membership. But when it comes to active membership, uh, probably just like any other diocese in the world, unfortunately, today, it's uh, uh, maybe not quite as big as we'd like to see it. Right, Brian? Sure. But, um, but we do, I guess, uh, walk in some of the same... Uh, or uh, same circles as uh, with our, our children and, uh, and our wives and families, mm-hmm. which is great. There are a lot of things around the Edmonton area that we can uh, get involved in. So yes, our paths do cross everyone, which is great. And that's why I'm uh, glad to talk with Brian on the podcast versus just uh, catching up to him at a school or at church or some other places. So Brian, it's it's really great to have you. The the journey of faith to you, Brian, is well known. I mean, you've you've been on video many times, of course, through your YouTube channel and have shared your story with everyone. But maybe give us a quick Coles Notes version of uh, your journey, at least to the Catholic Church. Hmm. And uh, you you started out uh, away from the church, away from the faith, right? So uh, mm-hmm. we do have some uh, a blessing to have some listeners that are not Catholics and and uh, some of them aren't even Christian. So it might be good just to give hmm. them a little Coles Notes version of your journey to how you got into the the church. Yeah, sure. So a, a very abbreviated uh, on on the, the far end of it version would be that um, at a certain point after I graduated from high school, I had started to 
through the, especially the witness of some friends, started to reconsider this question of God. I, I I hadn't been a person of faith or a church-going person or anything like that. I was mostly raised within the currents of just general secular society. Although I did go to Catholic schools growing up here in St. Albert, the Catholic school system was the public school system um, because it was Catholic missionaries who established uh, St. Albert as a mission. Um, but the the Catholicity of those schools was, was fairly... Uh, lukewarm at best. Um, so I didn't I didn't consider myself a, a Christian. I didn't really believe in God necessarily. I certainly didn't pray. I didn't I didn't have any any practices related to to religion or Christianity. But um because that those young adult years are such a hinge point in life, it starts to make you well, it should inspire you to start asking certain bigger questions about the direction of your life and ultimate meaning and purpose of your life. Um, you start to think about the teleology of your life, teleology being like, what is the purpose? What are the ends uh, of a thing? And certainly I'm a thing. And, and therefore, you can ask that question about yourself. What What is my end? What is my purpose? What is my trajectory? And so I started to ask those kinds of questions. And of course, God can become an ingredient in, in that question, or God should be an ingredient. God is one of the propositions that's out there. And of course, there are different versions of, of, of God. Um, so for me, it became a fundamental question of, does God exist? Is there a God out there? Is he personal? Is he somehow invested in my life? Does he care about me at all? Am I on his radar? And so kind of like a distress signal just shot out into the universe one night, I asked that question, not just as a general question, but specifically to God. God, if you do exist, can you reveal yourself to me? If you care about me, if, if that matters to you, is that a is this a prayer that would be answered? And without going into a lot of detail, I had something of a mystical experience through that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I felt a, a very strong answer to that question. Um, and part of that question, too, was if you exist, God, then um, and you reveal yourself to me in some way, then I will take that as an indication that I should seek you out. I should follow you. I should try to understand what that means for my life um, in, in an abbreviated way. It's sort of like if you tell me you exist, then I will follow you. Uh, and so when I got the response that I wasn't sure I would get. Um, that became a confirmation for me that I should seek out God for the rest of my life. I should try to understand what that means. And because the thing that initiated that question and that search, that distress signal was in a Christian context, the people that had inspired me to, to ask that question were Christians themselves. And because that was the the only thing that I was somewhat familiar with was, was this person of Jesus and his teachings and, and the church, um, I decided, okay, well, that will be that will be the obvious uh, line of inquiry will be through Christianity. And so I started reading the Bible at that point. Um, I started seeking out churches to attend because I thought, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to become a religious person, then I have to understand what that means. I have to know, well, how do I do that? What, what is expected of me? Um, what are the teachings that, 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 um, that we're supposed to adhere to? Um, and I thought I would find that through a combination, again, of reading scripture and, and going to church. Uh, but what I found with the churches was that I was, the different churches that I was attending, I was getting a lot of incoherent, um, at least emphasis, if not explicit teachings. And that I found very frustrating because I was eager. I, I did want to understand what this was all about. Um, so I continued to read scripture, but I backed away from church a little bit initially um, and, and started to approach it a little more systematically as a question of history. Why are there so many churches? Why do they not agree with each other? Um, and and how do I reconcile that with things that I was reading in scripture, especially, you know, Jesus' beautiful prayer in the chap in uh, the Gospel of John, right mm -hmm. before his passion, where he he prays that those that the Father has given him, his disciples, in other words, that they would be one with each other the way that he is one mm. with the Father. And I thought, mm. well, why? how can we reconcile that with the fact that there are so many churches, you know? And furthermore, I was also reading about these passages in which Jesus very explicitly passes on his authority to his apostles. Um, you know, in Matthew 16, 18, as we've all heard uh, a million times as Catholics, um, that that he he renamed Peter Rock. 
Um, and on this, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. And then in, in verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven, which has almost always been interpreted by the vast majority as an indisputable authority um, that comes directly from Christ himself and transmitted on to Peter. So I was reading things like this and I was thinking, well, Obviously, he was very deliberate in establishing a church that he wanted to be unified and that was authoritative. Um, are there any churches like that today? When I went to the United Church, where I was originally baptized, they didn't seem to to, to speak with that kind of authority. Um, I went to Baptist churches, to Pentecostal churches. They seemed to think that that kind of authority didn't even exist, although Scripture was telling me very explicitly that it did. Um, the only church that I knew of that that acted as though that authority existed um, was the Catholic Church. Um, and so that was that was very compelling for me. And the, the more I studied and the more the more I studied scripture and the more I studied history, the more I found myself lining up with the 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 Catholic side in that division, uh, at least in the Western Church between Protestantism and, and Catholicism. Um, and and this is um, in spite of the fact that I didn't really want to end up at the Catholic Church. There was a Pentecostal like most church. Most people that don't I, want to go there, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> when they start coming, it's it's hard, right? It's a hard. Yeah, yeah. Step I mean, take, there's the sure. foreign element to it. I mean, I wasn't familiar with its practices. I, I felt like there was mm -hmm. a lot I would have to learn to become a, a, a reasonable adherent of this this religion and this tradition. Um, so there was more work involved. I didn't like the sounds of that. Uh, and Catholic culture has become. Uh, quite beige and, and uninteresting, mm. if nothing else, mm. in the 20th century. Um, whereas in the Pentecostal church that I was also attending, um, there was at least more that I could I could relate to there because it it um, it portrayed back to me the culture that I was already familiar with, the secular culture, right, uh, in, mm. in, in its expression. So things like music, the way that people dressed, mm. the way that people spoke and preached on on their platform, on their stage. Um, those those were all things I could relate to, and and there were a thousand young adults attending this 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 Sunday yeah. service for young adults at this Pentecostal church I was going to, and I just felt like yeah, this is a community I can invest myself into, and mm -hmm. and immediately hit the ground running. Whereas the Catholic church that was local to me, uh, there weren't any young adults attending, um, mm -hmm. and investing myself in community and and having peers and people that I could journey with seemed like it was an unlikely thing. So it looked like a real unattractive sacrifice to to journey into the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. But I, I couldn't escape the fact that my mind was telling me that this was true um, mm -hmm. based on the study that I had uh, had been uh, conducting. So so I joined RCIA. I was the only young adult in the RCIA group and, and went through that process and was eventually confirmed. And uh, it's just been a matter of of practicing the faith ever since. Being convinced of the Eucharist and understanding mm. the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and uh, and John six really the, the the chapter in its entirety right Brian I mean it's yeah. it's really central especially to the time that we're recording this it's, it's during Holy Week yeah but um, when did that become real to you when did that uh, and, and did that have some influence too in your your journey to joining RCIA or maybe being in RCIA. Where you're like, what? This is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. I might not understand this, but mm. this appears to be truer than true. Yeah, yeah. So prior to my reception into the church, I I had been convinced by that. Certainly, um, John six and the, the the testimony of the early church fathers was was intrinsic to uh, helping me understand and agree with the Catholic doctrines around the real presence and the sacraments, as opposed to the the Protestant, and of course, there's a variety of Protestant takes on what what we're doing with the with the Lord's Supper or with Holy Communion. Um, but I just found that the Catholic one was the the consistent one, the one that was consistent with itself. It was coherent. It was coherent with itself, and it was consistent with uh, again the Church Fathers and, and what we find in, in as you were saying in uh, Chapter Six of John's Gospel. There. Um, so before I was received, uh, yeah, I would have I would have confessed something like that. I don't fully understand what this means. Um, or how it works necessarily, but um, I, I it, it does make sense in many respects, right? If if we need God, right, and and pretty much anybody from any walk of life um, can admit that where we are right now isn't the ideal life. 
we ourselves aren't perfect. The life around us isn't perfect. You know, if you think of it like puzzle pieces fitting together, they don't quite fit together. Uh, ourselves with other people, ourselves with the, the life and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And if you ask most people, what do you think is going to happen when you die? They will say, well, I'm probably going to go to heaven. I'm, you know, I'm a decent person mm. if they believe in that kind of thing. Um, so the question becomes for me, well, what's going to get us there? Because we're not there right now. And the puzzle piece doesn't fit right now. If you just took everybody who is alive today and let's say they all died, let's say an asteroid hit and you take that society as it exists and you transplant it over to heaven. Well, what's going to make it heaven? We all still lie. We all still abuse each other. We all still are self-centered and greedy and all the other things that that are incompatible with this idea of a perfectly peaceful existence. Mm. Um, so something has to change us to make us compatible citizens with this idea of a paradisal afterlife, right? Mm -hmm. And we understand that to be God himself. God is perfect, and therefore he can give his perfection to us. Well, how? what's a, what's a possible way he might do that? Well, he created us as material beings, as beings who have natural functions like eating and sleeping and procreating and all of these things. Well, what happens when we eat? When we eat, we are re-energized by the thing that the life of the thing that has has given us new life right whether it be plants or animals or or energy um and and as a result we are we are given that new life um in our bodies in our souls if you accept that that notion well i mean if god is going to transmit his life into us and we are material beings that makes a lot of sense that somehow he would transmit his life into us through those processes, right? Mm. Um, and even, even if you wonder, well, how does it work? It, it, it doesn't change the fact that if God exists, God could do that. Uh, there's nothing stopping him in his infinite power of, of using this kind of a mechanism to feed our bodies and our souls with his eternal body and soul. Um, and even if you're, attracted to the idea, well, you're not literally doing it. It's a symbolic thing. Well, what is it a symbol of in that case? Mm -hmm. If God can do, can, can inspire us symbolically, why not literally, why not him actually doing that for the sake of, of, of feeding our bodies and our souls together so that we get transformed in the process? Um, I think that makes a lot more sense. For sure. And he's chosen yeah. to do that, right, Brian? And he's yeah. explicitly instructed us that that's what he, yeah. uh, the intent was in, in scripture. When I was Absolutely. 16, I had a real profound uh, experience uh, when I went to a, a youth conference. And it wasn't anything super fancy or anything like that. There was about 100 mm. youth uh, in high school. And I wanted to go. I, I did, you know, I was interested in the Catholic. Faith. You know, I was born and raised a Catholic. And I, yeah. and I loved the sacraments, loved the Eucharist. Didn't really understand what I was doing most of the time. But one of the speakers that was there explicitly had a 15-minute talk about John 6. Hmm. and uh, about the Eucharist. And, of course, oh. I already believed in it. I just didn't realize why. And what really struck me, of course, was was the, uh, was the when everyone was leaving after he said, you know, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no right. life in you. And he let people right. walk away. Yeah, uh, I actually went back and found our big family Bible that we have on our coffee table and opened it up and went there. Yeah. And I said, oh, look at that. That's what it says. And I remember mom and dad said, what are you, guys, what are you opening that Bible for? Like, we, it seems right. just a centerpiece there for us. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, I heard this great talk. And yeah. and they said, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a great observation. And mm. uh, it was it was beautiful because that was really the stake. That's mm. the centrality of the, the Catholic faith. And I remember, you know, God bless our, our Protestant brothers and sisters. They're separated from us, but... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, there was a, uh, a youth rally about a year after I went to this, this rally, it was a Protestant youth rally. Mm. There was maybe about 200 kids there. And, uh, I just, I just happened to be in town when it happened. So I just dropped by, I wasn't participating, but, uh, meeting some of my, my Protestant friends there, they invited me to come and say hello. And they had like kind of a battle of the bands, I think, and all kinds of other stuff. Right. And, mm. and there was a, a pastor there that founded, I was Catholic. So of course he was asking some questions and, and mm -hmm. he just said, you know, something similar to what, what you said, Brian, where it was, uh, you know, look at, look how attractive this is. Look, look at all the youth here. There's, there's a lot of, um, you know, great music and mm -hmm. great preaching. And I said, yeah, I said, check marks all that, but right. You know, in the Catholic church, I said, but Jesus is there. Right. And even though Jesus lives in your heart, I don't doubt that you've invited him to, to be a part of your life. He's not here in this curling rink where we're having mm -hmm. this, this rally, but I know Jesus 
is yeah. in the Eucharist back at the Catholic Church five blocks from here. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, and it was great. He was very respectful. And he said that mm. I've never heard an answer like that, especially from mm. a young Catholic before. Mm. So I think that, um, you know, there's the, the sizzle. And sometimes when mm-hmm. Catholic churches and parishes that we we know of, Brian, and it's not just in Alberta, it's all around the world. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will know exactly what I'm talking about. We go away from the centrality of our faith, which is the sacramental life and receiving the Eucharist worthily, going to confession. And we try to sell this message of sizzle. And it just doesn't work very well, does it, Brian? When we start to go to the entertainment portion of mass and trying to bring people in. But yeah, what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) Well, I mean, your your story is is interesting because... uh, I probably wouldn't have the composure at your age to say something as profound as you did. But if I was approached by somebody today um, who is saying, you know, isn't this a better expression of what Christianity could be? Look how attractive it is. Look how relevant it is and and, and how how much it should it would resonate with people with sensibilities that uh, transcend the borders of the church. And I would say, well, yeah, that's fine. But if this is what attracted me to Christianity or to a particular faith tradition, if it's lights and guitars and battles of the bands and relevant clothing and expressions and colloquialisms, um, then why would I stop and rest at the church? Because if that's what I'm looking for, I can always find far more sizzle, far more relevance, far more fashionable thought and expressions way beyond the borders of a Pentecostal or a Baptist or what have you church. Um, ultimately, they're never going to be as attractive in those respects as the secular culture is, as MTV will be, or as TikTok will be, or just whatever the the thing happens to be, right? Um, so ultimately, there has to be something of substance there. There has to be something that is a contradiction to the world. There has to be something that is countercultural, right? Jesus didn't come to to finesse the world into what it what it you know the best version of itself, you know, the secular culture, he came to usher in the kingdom of God, which should be separate and different and distinct from the world. Um, and then of course, scripture tells us that we should, um, we should be distinct from the world. We should be the salt to the world, not the other way around. Um, so what we do find, especially in the ancient expressions and the timeless expressions of the faith, um, is just that is something that's wholly unique, something that that comes from the incarnation and and kind of ripples out from there, both in its its creed and the way that it is communicated and the teachings of it and its message for for those of us that would adhere to it. But then also with the way that that creed gets manifested in material reality, the way that it cultivates into culture uh, when it when it collides with the world, uh, both with people and 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 our expressions of of society and culture around us through art and and architecture and music and all of these kinds of things. Um, I remember, you know, I was I was I was in bands growing up. I played the guitar and early my early experiences of Christianity were, oh, I'm gonna join a youth band and and we're gonna do this this thing that I'm familiar with, but we're just gonna kind of infuse it with with Christian content. And I remember thinking, yeah, that that's that seems like an attractive way to go, and that's going to attract outside people. But then I had these these experiences that were that kind of shook me out of that a little bit. One was on our honeymoon, we went to uh, Westminster Cathedral in London, England. That's where we landed. That was the beginning of our honeymoon. Uh, we were doing a tour of, of Western Europe, and we were super jet lagged. And it was the middle of the afternoon, and I knew we can't go to the hotel room because we'll just fall asleep, and we need to kind of push through and stay awake. So let's walk around town and try to keep ourselves awake and. We came across this cathedral and I didn't know if it was Catholic or Anglican or what it was, but it looked beautiful. So we walked in through the front doors and it turned out it was Catholic and mass was just about to start. And it was like a Wednesday afternoon. And so we sat down and there was an organ recital going on um, or not a, a recital. It was actually a warm up just for mass. And they have like a world class organist team there. Mm-hmm. And he was just he was just jamming on the organ. And I, I was like a, I was a metal guy, right? And not just because I liked hard rock music, but because I love people who could shred on the guitar, who were virtuosos on their instruments, right? And I sat there and listened to this guy just jamming, and I thought, this is more intense than any he- the heaviest heavy metal that I, I have devoted myself to at times in my life. Mm. This is, and and the virtuosity of it is just beyond anything I've ever heard before. It's just incredible. 
And then mass started and it was a very sort of solemn, reverent mass, which I'd never experienced mm -hmm. before. And they had a cantor up there who was chanting just one singer through the whole thing. She chanted the psalm uh, and then she chanted, obviously, um, the offertory and other elements of the mass and the propers and things. And I just thought I was I was it was it was transcendent, truly transcendent, where it just takes you to another world. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this is the this is what Christianity actually is supposed to sound like, um, not rock music. Rock music is the incarnation of a different creed and a different culture, the secular mm -hmm. culture, the consumer culture. That's what it's designed to do, to be a, a marketable product. Um, but what this is true, um, transcendent beauty that is connecting me to God who is beauty. And I'd never, I'd never experienced that in the church before. Mm -hmm. And that sort of set me, I think, on a path that started to lead me away from this whole idea of, you know, it's guitars and drums and being relevant. Um, and that's what we should, that's what faith should do. That's what the church should do. It should connect us to the transcendent and to God. Um, and so I think that that's where our renewal in the church should, should lead us. Well, I'm glad you made, you related that story. That's a great story. And mm. I think that's, that's common with some people that have gone to, you know, maybe a, a basilica or a cathedral. Yeah. It seems like the way, you know, and not all of them are like that, but a lot of them are, where they do have those big pipe organs, they do have a right. cantor, they do sing, they chant, they do things that are um, that are really I, I, traditionally mm -hmm. how Catholics understood worship, right? Yeah. Even in our own uh, archdiocese here in Edmonton, you'll go to our basilica named after the great St. Joseph and uh, the odd time you will hear the pipe organ, you'll hear some chants mm -hmm. and it's like, this is a lot different than what some other Catholic parishes are doing right now. Right. Um, and, uh, but it brings you, like you said, to, it connects you to, um, the things that we, that really matter in life and mm -hmm. that's, that's eternal life and that, uh, that mm -hmm. journey towards eternal life. So you're on this journey to, uh, in the church already, you have this experience and I'm sure many more after that, but, mm. um, when was it, uh, you know, kind of convincing your heart that there was maybe a better way this traditional way to to go mm. to start attending the traditional Latin mass or a more traditional liturgy. Uh, where mm -hmm. was that mm -hmm. kind of part of your life when you started to participate in that? Yeah, well, so I had always aimed to be an Orthodox Catholic. And an Orthodox just yeah. means adhering to the traditional faith, like the, the faith one, given once for all, right? Now, yeah. of course, you know, disciplines and practices and cultural expressions can 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 fluctuate over over the course of time but but god himself is timeless um he's the same now he's he'll be the same forever and he was the same in the past um and so if we're trying to conform ourselves to him that that standard shouldn't fluctuate very much and and it should be a roadmap for every single human being of every single generation and that's why orthodoxy has always been attracted to me because that's what i want i want to be conformed to, to god i recognize in myself from a um from the earliest times of my conversion that I, I do not have things figured out. I need help in this life. I need, I need guidance. I need direction. And I'm not getting it from the, the conventional uh, sources of wisdom that I had, I had looked to in the past, you know, like secular society, my teachers, my parents, whoever, <clears throat> excuse me. So, so this orthodox roadmap always seemed, had this appeal to me. Um, but I had mistaken it for being merely a creed, that it's just a, a, a roadmap of, of teachings that I will then apply to my life and I will become a better person. I will become a more pious person. I will become more Christ-like in the process. What I've come to realize as I've uh, applied those, those teachings to my life is that it's more than a creed. It's, it's culture as well. And this is something that I'm, I'm, Quite sensitive too, because as a convert, I've always wanted to take any opportunity I could to invite friends and family who who didn't follow me in into the church to come and see what it's all about for themselves too. I want them to share in the joy and the peace and the the direction that comes from adhering to this this Christian life. Um, but I always felt like, well, what am I going to invite them to? Am I am I going to invite them to the nine a.m. mass that has you know percussive piano? And, and tambourines and people singing out a key. Um, like, it's just, it's it's quite lame. If if you can forgive me for being kind of harsh about it. Um, I'm trying to look at it 
through the eyes of, of, of a visitor, a person who might show up for the first time and say, this is kind of juvenile, you know, this isn't attractive to me. Um, and, and that has always made me very sensitive to the production, the show, the sizzle. Um, but what I came to understand is that it's not a show. It's a liturgy. It's, it's a pious expression of the creed manifested in, in, in space and time, the same way that the invisible reality of God became visible for us in the incarnation. We are material beings. We experience things in a sensory way. So how best for God to reveal himself to us than by becoming one of us so that we can have a conversation with him. We can hear what he says as it's documented for us in, in, in uh, the, the records of history. Um, we can encounter him through the sacraments, these physical manifestations of his grace and, and his mercy. Well, that's true in the disciplines as well. The way that we express the creed, the way that we express our worship for God, it it matters, if you'll forgive the pun, how it's conducted. Um, there are certain expressions that will more align us to those teachings and, and better prepare our hearts and our affections for who God actually is, God who is beauty, not beauty in the eye of the beholder, but God who is beauty, who is wholly other than us. Well, certainly certain expressions of beauty are going to better comport themselves to who and what God is. Um, so the more I've applied these things, the more I, I, I came to realize that there are better and worse expressions of that but the, in how they align themselves to that definition of beauty, God who defines that 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 definition. Um, and I just, you know, I got, I got to a certain point where um, I was getting really frustrated with with my experience at mass. Um, I was finding that I was trying to intentionally pray at mass. Um, but during moments of, of very solemn um, sacredness within the mass such, mass, such as, you know, when we receive the Eucharist and we go back to our pew and I would be trying to pray, but instead all I could hear is a saxophone solo going on and a drummer and people just kind of inserting as much distraction to those moments as they possibly could. And I thought, you know, like some silence would be good here in this moment, if nothing else. I'm not saying that music is wrong in those moments, but it should be music that is contemplative so that I can have a moment with God to reflect on this incredible gift that I've just received. But instead, I just, I can't pray. Um, this was happening Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And instead of leaving, feeling renewed and um inspired to go on and and be and to share that same light that I just received to the rest of the world, I found myself being frustrated and angry and disappointed with with what should be the source and summit of our faith was becoming a moment of distraction and frustration for me. And, and it, can, it kind of accumulates too sometimes, Brian, I don't know if you've had this experience, does, but yeah. when you have kids, when you have kids yeah. with you, yeah. um, it's it's already a time of, you know, you're, you're you're fulfilling your obligation to be there on Sunday. Yep. Sometimes they behave, sometimes they don't. But yep. Sometimes it contributes to the angst that you feel and and where mm -hmm. you should be in a, in a in a place of reverence and, and of peace, right? Mm -hmm. And it kind of amplifies that when there's more distractions yep. in addition to what's going on in your own pew around you. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the reason I bring that up is because sometimes you hear that from other people. They say, well, the reason we don't go to mass is because we feel like we're being a distraction with our children. Mm -hmm. So for those people, please just bring your children to mass. Don't worry. And if there's anybody giving you weird yep. stares, just there's far worse things going on at uh, at mass than than your kids making a few noises here and there, right? For sure. But uh, yeah, but yeah, no, yeah. Sorry, carry on, Brian. Yeah. Well, and, and sensitivity to my children's perception of what was going on was was important mm -hmm. to me too, because you know, as 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 much as we place effort into trying to make the mass a, a very participatory event. There's lots of responses and there's times to sing and there's times to stand and times to kneel. I found um, there was just a lot of busyness that my, my kids didn't really understand. There wasn't sort of something intrinsically being communicated to them in the way that the liturgy was being practiced in my parish. And I think it all kind of, like you said, it accumulates, right? So over time, this, this experience was accumulating and the frustration was growing for me. Um, simultaneously, there was a lot of scandal in the news about the church, and I was just finding myself really frustrated with my identity as a Catholic, but not only as just a, a, a lay person who attends Mass, but as someone who tries to evangelize and just finding that, you know, mm. people have very easy, low-hanging fruit to, to say, well, I mean, why would I want to become Catholic? Look at all the scandal and the sex abuse and the cover-ups yeah. and all of this kind of stuff. And 
and and even the way that at the highest level the way that the pope was responding to it i was just i was really scandalized by and so this one sunday we went to mass and um we were i was trying to prepare myself for communion um and as we were about to process towards receiving the sacrament i felt you know a prompting from the holy spirit nothing audible nothing you know terribly charismatic or anything like that but just a prompting in my heart to kneel to mm -hmm. to express more reverence and more humility before this great gift that i i did not merit myself and i i was resisting that i was like oh no i don't want to do that that's that's kind of embarrassing nobody does that at my at my church um but it wouldn't go away this prompting and so we finally get up there and I'm just like, fine, okay. I drop to my knees and the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion who was handing out the host, she didn't know what I was doing. She didn't understand. And and so she was just, she, she, she looked at me kind of perplexed and then she just patted me on the head, which I don't know what she thought that was, but um, I, I said to her, well, no, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm here to receive uh, the Eucharist. And she, oh, and she just kind of shoves the host in my mouth. Um, and I was uh, I was just stunned by that experience. First of all, the scandal of the fact that somebody who has signed up for a leadership role, it's a ministerial role within the church, doesn't understand what the normative way to receive the Eucharist is. That was, that was shocking and scandalizing for me. I was embarrassed because, you know, presumably somebody, at least the person standing behind me, saw this, this bit of a fiasco here. Um, and I was really just hurt by it. I was hurt by the fact that my attempt to receive reverently ended up become a very irreverent reception in the way that, um, that the Eucharist was handled and, and placed in my mouth. And so I went back, I was trying to pray. I was saying, God, humble my heart. Don't let me be judgmental about this situation. Don't let me be too prideful or embarrassed. And as I'm trying to pray, there's literally a saxophone solo going on. And I just remember thinking, Lord, I'm trying. I'm trying here. Um, where are you? And the response I felt like I was getting in that prayer was, I'm not here. I mean, I am here, but I'm buried under a lot of noise, a lot of distraction. And I don't blame you for struggling to find me in this moment. And I mean, I can find God in my bedroom at my bedside when I pray at night. He's there in the silence. He's ministering to me. He's communicating with me. He's helping me to pray. The Holy Spirit is alive and, and present in those moments. He's there when right after I've committed some sort of a sin that I'm I'm totally ashamed of, and I turn to him in, in repentance. I feel his presence and I know that he's working in my life. But in the mass, the temple, the place where he's supposed to be present, the way that you confessed. To that that protestant uh pastor here i am trying to find him and i can't he's just buried under noise and distraction and i was just heartbroken by that and i had some, some friends i knew and some people had had told me that they had gone to the latin mass and i thought well sure why not um, i gotta try something because this is damaging my relationship with god and so um i i said to my wife you know i think we should go check out the latin mass I, we know some people that go there and and so we went on a Sunday, really intimidated by the prospect of it. Uh, we didn't, it was like going to the Catholic Church again for the first time. You didn't know how to conduct yourself. You didn't know um, what was going on. You didn't know the practices. Um, and everybody else there were fluent in it. They were all experts in it. And you, we were, we thought we're going to stand out like sore thumbs, right? And ironically, it was kind of a... Um, a boisterous atmosphere. There was a lot going on. There was there was the priest conducting the sacrifice up at the altar, but in the pews there was lots of little kids who were angsty and who were out in the in the aisles. There was people in the in the foyer with their kids. There was people praying the rosary. There was just sort of a lot of activity, and nobody cared about what the other person was doing necessarily, as long as it was it wasn't like scandalous or anything like that. But Everybody was so intently focused on what was going on at the altar that I, I found myself able to just forget myself in those moments. And even though I was I was confused, I didn't understand what was going on because it was a ritual I wasn't familiar with, um, I was able to just close my eyes at one point and hear uh, Father, Father Boda, who is our former pastor, um, who is Italian himself and a great 
he has a very strong voice that carries throughout and and he's not mic'd or anything so it, it has to kind of carry an echo around in the church um he's a great chanter and he's got an italian accent and so the latin just sort of sings uh as as he literally sings it and i closed my eyes for a minute and i just felt myself transported through time thinking like well i could be in ancient rome right now for all i know you know if i just close my eyes and i listen to what's going on this is the faith that has been transmitted through every generation. This is what it should sound like. This is how it should be expressed. And I found it just to just be a beautiful, beautiful thing. While simultaneously really perplexed by the fact that it was so different. Um, I expected it to be basically what I'm familiar with in the mass, but just kind of in Latin, right? But it wasn't like I've been to French masses, uh, vernacular masses before, and I understood everything that was going on, even though I'm not fluent in French. I knew, okay, yeah, they're doing the Our Father right now. Okay, they're doing the Creed right now. Okay, they're doing the, the Sanctus right now. I knew what was going on at every moment. But in the Latin mass, the liturgy had was so different that I was just like, yeah, I have no idea what's going on. I, I can tell he's doing a consecration right now, but I don't know at what point he's at in the canon. I'm totally lost here. And I'm a fluent practicing Catholic, right? And that was an occasion for me to kind of think about the reforms that were done. Like, were these in were these with the intention of 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 transmitting the ancient faith, or was there a bit of a rupture maybe in the way that this was designed? You know, um, because it was just so different. In fact, it was more different. The Novus Ordo that I was familiar with was more different to that experience than the Novus Ordo was to like Anglican church services that I had gone to in the past. And that for me was a bit of a, a jolt. Like how, how is that possible? This is supposed to be the Latin rite of the church. And yet we've, we've changed it to be more compatible with modern Protestantism. Um, that was, that was a hard thing for me to, to make sense of at the time. And, um, but, but nonetheless, I just found a, a refuge there. I found at least orthodoxy and I've, we've continued to go there. And at one moment, you know, after we'd gone a few times, uh, we were driving to Mass. And I thought, you know, I, I'm going to check in with my kids here because this was new to them too. And I wasn't sure if this was something they wanted to continue with or if they wanted to go back to our, our, our parish. And so I asked them, hey, guys, so we've been going to this Latin Mass thing for a few weeks now. And, and what do you think? Do you want to continue to go to the Latin Mass or do you want to go back to our, our old parish? And they triumphantly said Latin mass. They cheered from the back seats of my, of, of our, of our giant passenger van. And I just remember thinking, well, I didn't expect that. Why, why is that? I didn't ask them that because I didn't think that they could necessarily explain why they just, they knew in their heart that they loved this new mass that we were going to. And one thing, something that happened that helped me, I think, understand that a little bit better was, um, a few months later, we were again at the Latin Mass, and and my son William, who was probably about two years old at the time, he was getting a bit restless, and so I picked him up to try and calm him down and to refocus his attention. And there's this huge cloud of incense just floating over us, and it got caught in the the light of the stained glass window, and he he kind of stopped, and it caught his attention too, and he looked up and he goes prayers prayers, like he was pointing at the clouds because that communicated to him that there were prayers going up to heaven. And that's exactly what incense is supposed to communicate to us. And I remember thinking, wow, he gets it. There's something in this very much more sensory experience in, in this, uh, this ancient liturgy that communicates something to him that none of my, my other kids have ever seemed to indicate they understand in the Novus Ordo. Because all the Novus Ordo, in the way that it was done at our old parish, had been for us was just words up on the altar, song breaks, more words, and then people receiving communion. But there was nothing more sensory than that. The kids don't understand the words because it's, you know, it's a higher sophisticated form of English. So even ironic, ironically, we wanted to introduce vernacular to make it more comprehensible, but they weren't getting it. But there is something in the way that the, the the priest the Latin Mass was chanting these prayers that they might not understand what those words mean, but they understand it's sacred. It's communicating the sacred to them. The incense is communicating the sacred. The chant is communicating the sacred. The bells and the candles and all of these things are communicating to them that something really important is happening here right now. But at the old Novus Ordo we went to, where people are casually dressed, even 
even people handing out communion are casually dressed. People are shuffling up to the altar the way that they would to, to buy their groceries. That communicated to my kids, I assume, it certainly communicated to me that nothing important is happening here. This doesn't really matter that much. This is no more important than when you check out at Walmart. Um, and I didn't want that to be communicated to my kids who didn't understand the words anyways or the song lyrics. But again, at the Latin Mass, they were getting something. They understood what was being what was being done here was important and transcendent. And so as we've continued to go, I've 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 noticed a piety in them that I just never found as as our older kids were coming of age and receiving the sacraments. Um, my oldest son, who um who he's he's younger, he's he's you know, he's coming up to be just about 10. Um, he's already just said that he wants to be a priest um, because of the way that the Latin Mass has just introduced this new piety for him, and especially as an altar server. Um, our other kids who had altar served at the Novus Ordo, I mean, it was just sort of a fun thing to do for them. Um, mm. But you didn't see this increase of piety and devotion to God through that experience. Um, fostering vocations, right? Yeah, Definitely, yeah. Mm. Which is another thing to say that there are you know, in this age of the crisis of vocations, out of the Latin Mass chaplaincy here in the Archdiocese of Edmonton, there are four young men who are signing up to the seminary this this coming uh, September. Um, I I don't know of any other parishes that are doing that, um, that are producing that no. kind of devotion to uh, and 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 vocation. Uh, so, some entire diocese would be lucky if they had yeah blessed, four vocations. Not lucky, yeah. but if they had four in one year. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the disposition uh, that we have when we receive the Eucharist <clears throat> is important, Brian. I'm glad you yeah. brought that up because I've heard this from countless people who have gone to Nor Novus Ordo masses. Somebody mm -hmm. invited them to come to mass. Yeah. They went to mass and they said one of their reasons that they actually converted to Catholicism was the way that people reverently went up to receive the Eucharist. So this is mm -hmm. possible to yeah. do at any you know whether it's Novus Ordo or wherever it's. Yep. It's it's our disposition and, and how we receive, but it is so important, isn't it? And I think the other thing is, and I just so our listeners know too. So, so Brian was one of uh, of a few different dads that invited me and our family. So I really appreciated mm. the invite, Brian, to come to the to, to participate in the traditional Latin Mass. So we've gone a few times. We love it, and our kids love it. Um, it's also the community too. And there is some interesting statistics too, and I don't I don't mean this as a um, you know, to point fingers at people that go to the Novus Ordo or say that they don't have a, a profound faith in Jesus Christ. Because I, yeah. I do think that there are some that do, and they do have a very uh, a good relationship yeah. with Christ. But yeah. what I found when, when you go to a traditional liturgy, and we've gone to um, the Anglican Ordinariate before, which some people are familiar with. Also, just because we have a Slavic background, we've gone to the Ukrainian Catholic Mass, mm. which can be celebrated very uh, yeah. similarly, very uh, reverently as well. And, and yep. of course... In addition, a lot of these churches that you go to, especially the Ukrainian Catholics around Alberta, they built the churches to look really beautiful inside. So even the architecture and the art itself brings you up to a, a different place as well, right? Which is mm -hmm. which is great. But um, but some of the numbers, and this is before this is before this crazy time of COVID too. Mm -hmm. So this is like four years ago. But uh, this was from uh, an article from the Catholic Herald, and it said that. Um, 99% of traditional Latin mass goers uh, fulfill their weekly obligation mm. uh, versus 22% of the Novus Ordo. 98% uh, also go to confession at least once per year compared to 25% of the Novus Ordo. And even our priests here at our parish, uh, you know, over the years have said that we just, people just don't go to confession. They just mm. don't go. Yeah. The one thing that did strike me about uh, attend, attending the traditional Latin mass was that uh, there was a lineup, and at first I didn't know what it was. I thought, should I offer my seat to these people? Because they're standing. Right. <laughs> There's lots of room. Maybe yeah. I need to be the usher and tell them where to go, right? Yeah. But what they were, they are actually li in line for confession. Yeah. Um, what I didn't know at the time was there was two priests, uh, and, and one was obviously, you know, uh, leading, saying the mass. The other priest was actually hearing confessions. And then yeah. what was happening was between confessions and then going up to preach, to, to deliver the homily, he would actually leave the confessional, deliver the homily, go back to the confessional after, yeah. hear a few more confessions, and then come out to help distribute the Holy Eucharist. I thought that was pretty cool. I'd never seen yeah. that before. So, yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, there's there's a lot of numbers, and you know, we could go on. There's I'll post it in the show notes as well. But 
mm-hmm. even just the level of tithing, uh, mm-hmm. positions on social issues that are central to our faith, like yeah. abortion. How can any Catholic believe that abortion is right in any circumstance at all? Right. Uh, it just boggles my mind. Same with marriage, traditional marriage. The numbers are all there. Mm-hmm. It's um, So uh, when I say that when going to the traditional at mass, it's also the community too. Yes. When you go there, you feel like you don't have to, you can really be your, who you truly are as a Catholic. Yeah. And you yep. can talk about these social issues and you're not going <laughs> to fear any kind of like pushback or like, I, I think someone called it the modern year, Brian. We all yeah. have it. We know that we have it to different degrees because we are in the world, but we don't want to be of the world. Mm. But sadly, a lot of our brothers and sisters in our, our church, they have that modern year on all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what we've seen the last couple of years, these are numbers, like I said before, COVID, um, when you have a dispensation, and I'm not saying I'm blaming the decline in mass attendance on this dispensation necessarily, because I think it is a question of what's in your heart. You know, mm. if you have this dispensation, you probably already have a foot out the door anyways mm. in your heart. Mm-hmm. But it certainly didn't help. No. Because, you know, we, we have all these great examples of, of saints from the past that have gone through real pandemics and, and real extraordinary circumstances, but still, um, you know, finding a way to distribute communion, to hear confessions, to say mass, to catechize people. You know, we have these roadmaps already and, you know, this was before 1970, right? This is, this was the, the mass that was in the, and the, uh, you know, the belief of the the saints that have come, the, some of the greatest saints, probably our listeners' favorite saints, if you rattle one off, well, that was the era that they came from, right? Yeah, yeah. So how do we how do we get back to, to mm-hmm. bringing people back to church? I don't, I know it's kind of complicated. I think that it's maybe not necessarily everybody's got to go to the traditional Latin mass, yeah. but there is something, something about traditional teaching, orthodox teaching, that seems mm-hmm. to be flowing from, more traditional liturgies and from those communities. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a combination of those things. What do you think, Brian? Well, I think that there has to be something offered there that they don't think that they can get somewhere else, right? So if if we make relevance and relatability in the clergy, this some of the, the higher priorities, well, it's like, yeah, I mean, I can go listen to a motivational talk um, anywhere I want. I can go to some conference. I can, I can go to professional workshops. Um, I can hear good music at the local pub. I don't need to go to a church, assuming that the church does have good music, which it typically doesn't. Um, so what are you offering me that I can't get elsewhere, right? Um, is it community? Okay, well, again, I can get a sense of community when I go to the local hockey game or something like that. Um, you know, the, that gives me a sense of camaraderie and, and a sense of belonging to all these people all directing their attention in the same way and with the same hopes and intentions. Um, so again, what is it that that you're offering me here? The thing I found in the Catholic Church that keeps bringing me back is, again, that roadmap for how to live my life in a way that that gives me peace. The person I was before I became Catholic and the person I am now is is, is just night and day. Um, I was... I was a directionless person. I was I was making a lot of moral mistakes in my life that I was I was really ashamed of. Um, I was failing in a lot of my goals. I was anxious. I was depressed. Um, and the person I am now is none of those things. I I have direction. I have confidence. I have hope. I'm not afraid of dying. I mean, certainly it's not something I'm looking forward to, but I it doesn't keep me up at night. I'm not anxious about the prospect of my death. Um, I. I, I find myself able to express gratitude for the life I have. Gratitude is one of those things that, you know, the the, the scientific literature tells us is, is most um, needed in order to give us a sense of, of peace and happiness in our lives, if we can express gratitude. But, you know, if you're not directing that towards someone, what good is it? It's just sort of a figment of your imagination. And, and so the thing that the Catholic Church has given me is that roadmap and the more I immerse myself in it, I am now finding that there is an authentic expression of that culture as well, which, you know, I'm, I, I've been so, sort of spoiled by uh, my upbringing and the kinds of music and the kinds of movies that I watched and, and, and um, the things that have, have captured my heart. Um, but seeing my kids now raised up in this, like the, the, the kinds of culture 
um, that they embody and that they express just as a second nature is just such a beautiful thing to watch. We went for a walk after mass in the river Valley the other day and just a few families and all of the kids were sort of walking together in, in rows and they were singing beautiful uh, polyphony um, just mm -hmm. as a second nature thing. Like normally you take your kids to the park and you think, Oh, they'd throw the baseball around or they, 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 they play tag or something like that. That's their second nature, right? Our kids were singing polyphony as second nature. It's just, it just spills out of them. Um, and then when we got to the parking lot, they started doing uh, the Virginia reel together, which is just, it's a beautiful thing. They were all yeah. swinging and dancing and, 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 I, I just looked at that with envy. I didn't have that kind mm. of camaraderie with my friends in, in, in all the things that might have produced that camaraderie, like, like sports and pop music and, and these kinds of things. Even then you wouldn't see us dancing and singing with joy in our hearts in the parking lot uh, after school. Um, we would, we'd be hanging out trying to look cool and smoking and, and, and gossiping about each other. You know, that's, mm. that's youth culture. Right. And, uh, and I just thought, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I think truly what's going to rejuvenate the church is is an authentic Catholic culture. Um, mm -hmm. We we stripped that all down um, because we had kind of lost our, our appreciation for it anyways. Um, back in the 60s and 70s, we had inherited this great tradition, but it was kind of an empty tradition because we we didn't it didn't connect with our with our understanding of the faith. Right. And um, I think subsequent generations have been rediscovering first that creed that authentic orthodox creed and now it's starting to connect into the culture um that we could have inherited and that we're kind of having to rebuild ourselves a little bit um and as we do so i think that um there will be kind of this this way that the old latin mass the ancient tradition can inform the new tradition i think um because i'm not a latin i'm not latin mass or bust right? Mm -hmm. I go to the Latin mass because there I find the Orthodox faith. I find a refuge and I find other people right. who are intentionally Orthodox and that mm -hmm. I'm confident that if that's the culture I can, I can raise my kids in, I'm confident they will actually inherit the faith. Um, that's why I go to the Latin mass right now, but it's a compromise, right? I would love to go to a reverent, um, richly textured Novus Ordo mass. Um, but for mm -hmm. the time being, it doesn't really exist. Um, so I'm not mm -hmm. confident that we will find the Catholic culture there. But I'm, I am pretty confident that generations like my kids um, will produce that authentic culture. Um, all, all four of those those soon-to-be seminarians, assuming they're all accepted, are, are going to a diocesan seminary. They're not going to a Latin Mass seminary. They want to be Novus Ordo priests, even though they go mm. to the Latin Mass, right? And there right. are several other current, currently studying seminarians who come to the Latin Mass as well. And they're not studying to become Latin mass priests. They're studying to become Novus Ordo priests. So I have a lot of hope that um, future generations are going to, to express the Catholic uh, faith, both in creed and in culture, in ways that are going to be profound and, and be a profound witness and an inspiration to the outside world, where they can then actually be the salt of, of the world, not just in word, but also in, in the expressions of that word. I think what we're seeing in the world now this chaos, this confusion. Uh, there's a lot of Catholics that I think are taking another look and saying, what do we need to do to bring the kingdom of Jesus Christ back? Because mm -hmm. what we're seeing right now is ugly and scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's really weird too, I think Brett, not weird in a bad way, but we're also seeing a lot of non-Christians are recognizing that as well. Yeah. And the sad thing is, you know, you think of a cons conservative movements, Yep. Which seemed to have failed miserably throughout the years, but right. that probably because they're not rooted in Jesus Christ, you know? No. A lot of great intentions, great intentions. Yep. But uh, yep. not quite the fullness of the truth, right? No. And then no. confusion of why it's not exactly working out the way they want it to. Right. Um, it's so important for us Catholics to be that beacon of light to them. And mm. unfortunately, we've taken... We've taken a seat, haven't we? We've just taken a seat the last several years and said, I'm just yeah. going to, let's go along with the ways of the world. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. Yeah. And then when we do, at least in my observation, we see people that have movements, but maybe you're just a little, little bit off, yeah. off kilter because they don't have Jesus with them. Yeah. But they have that, that desire for truth in their hearts. Yes. And, uh, but our, our church is not there for them. 
and it's it's yeah. actually quite quite humbling and embarrassing. Yes, I agree. I don't know if yeah. I could put humbling and it's embarrassing in the same word. More embarrassing than anything, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then we see even you know I've Brian, I tell you, I've got a lot of non-Catholic friends. Some are Christians, some are not even Christians, and they say like, like what what are you guys doing here? Like in the last yeah. three years, when it comes to your response to COVID, you never stood up to yeah. make sure the churches were open, even for your own prayers. But yet, yeah. you, you know, people are going to big box stores and you have no issue with that. Right. You know, um, there's a lot yeah, of questions. We, we around... recognize that Walmart is an essential service, but the Eucharist Seriously. is not. Right. And, and that's very damaging. That's, right? that's scandalous. Yeah. And now, you know, even I'm just going to say it. I mean, I've, I'm running into people all the time that have suffered injuries from these mandates. Yeah. You know, whether that's losing your job or actually having a physical injury and the church has said nothing. Yes. They're just abandoning any kind of involvement. And we talk about social justice all the time. I can't think of anything more unjust, even something as simple as people losing their job over yeah. over something that we know now is, I mean, a sham is just putting it way too mildly. Um, but we sit off to the side and we don't do anything. So nothing hinders our evangelization efforts and a poor example. Right, Brian? Like. Well, yeah. So I, mean, I think it's so important that we provide that example as best we can. But yeah, I guess on that note, because we're time's flying, Brian. I, sure, I'm yeah. so happy that you joined us and and to, to chat. It's it's so good to call to talk to you. Mm. I know you're working on some things. Mm. Um, I know there's a program that you have in addition to your your fantastic videos, but called the reinforcements. Yeah, yes. that's what I wanted yep. to tie all this into because I sure. think there's a mission and a vocation for all of us, especially as men too, mm. that we need to embrace. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something inside of all of us that we want to fight, not only for our our wives and our children, but we want to fight for our community and we want to see mm-hmm. people come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So maybe talk about the reinforcements in addition to the other parts of your apostolate. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the reinforcements is just a way of kind of broadening how I see myself and the role that I play in the church. Um, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a philosopher. I'm just some dude who happens to have stumbled accidentally into Catholicism and found just such a consolation and direction uh, for my mm-hmm. life there. Um, and it's also it's also revealed aptitudes that I never knew existed. I wasn't a very good student, for example, in school. I, I often felt like I was stupid because of the way that you know teachers treated me and the kinds of grades that I got. Um, and it wasn't until I became Christian and then Catholic that I was introduced to the intellectual tradition, to f- things like philosophy, um, that I started to read for the first time in my life. And and not just the newspaper or not just stuff I'd find on the internet, but like actual books, substantial intellectual books, and discovered that I do have a, a very rich aptitude for this kind of thing. And so it's amazing what can happen when the grace of God connects with just the ordinary person. And, and that's what I, I see the reinforcements as. Other people who aren't these in their own right, um, remarkable people, but who love and and are are following the Lord and whom, um, if they do so that with faith, um, it just might be that God can, can do incredible things through them. Um, so, so it's, it's a sort of a membership portal that I've set up uh, a website that I've built where people can interact with me and and with each other and, uh, and help support the work that I'm doing and that apostolate uh, as well. Uh, and then maybe find some inspiration and, and and some encouragement for whatever it is that they might be called to as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, I had a million questions to ask you, Brian. I whittled it down to seven and I asked you two of them and it's already time to go. So I hope that I can wrestle you in here and do it again sometime in the future. But maybe yeah. one more time in case people haven't uh, seen any of your videos, how can they uh, get uh, a hold of you at your website and your YouTube channel? Sure. Yeah. Well, my website is brianholdsworth.ca. And if you just search Brian Holdsworth on the various platforms that are out there, um, you'll find me that way. Fantastic. Brian, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, David. It was a pleasure. Well, a big thanks again to Brian Holdsworth for joining us in this episode of the podcast. And again, we'll continue to pray for Brian and the work that he's doing through his YouTube channel and his other projects as well, reaching not just Catholics, but also non-Catholics through faith and reason. I think that's such an important uh, approach that Brian uses in his videos, faith and reason. Those are the two things that uh, throughout history, through our saints, through popes, this is how our church encourages us to approach not only our fellow brothers and sisters in the church, but also those who are outside the church, coming with charity, 
explaining our position, explaining the hope that lies within us. And faith and reason, you can't go wrong with that combination. And Brian does a great job of presenting that in his videos. And a big thanks to you for listening to the Catholic Connect podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your fine pods. And drop me a line anytime. Love hearing from you. Uh, it's amazing how technology reaches uh, across the world, across borders to different countries. And it's been a real blessing doing this podcast and hearing from so many of you. Uh, knowing that you're listening and praying for me, that means so much. We recently had Kevin Phillip on our podcast, and we talked about some of the lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament. And we talked specifically about Elijah and Elisha. And I've been reading uh, from the book of the Exodus. So there's Genesis, of course, is the first book in the Bible. Exodus is the next one in the Old Testament and gives a lot of details toward the Israelites leaving Egypt, all the amazing things that God had done to save his people, the Israelites bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, where they were there for hundreds of years, for generations. And God showed his might, his glory, his uh, the wonder of God in parting the Red Sea. Of course, before that, all the plagues that hit Egypt, but would not touch God's chosen people, the Israelites. They get out to the wilderness. God promises them the promised land. There's, He was showing them the promised land. And throughout all this time, he just asked that the Israelite people would just trust him. And time and time again, they would fall short to the point where they would even get frustrated with the leadership at the time, Moses, of course, and Joshua, even asking them to say, hey, why did you lead us out here to the wilderness? Why don't we just go back to Egypt, back into slavery? And I kept thinking about my life, and maybe this is your life as well. You know, just when we think that we're on this fast track to heaven and to holiness, we get drawn back into our lives of sin. And I know it can be incredibly frustrating when you fall down, you got to pick yourself back up again. But that is exactly what God is calling us to do. God is asking us to trust him and to love him. And when we do stumble, when we do fall into sin, we have all the necessary graces that we need through the sacrament of confession to bring us back into that right relationship with Jesus Christ again. So for all you non-Catholics, I'm encouraging you and inviting you to come and join the Catholic Church. Hey, it's as simple as that. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of good information, a lot of good people that want to help you come and join the Universal Church. And for us Catholics out there, we know what we have to do. When we do fall into that life of sin, we fall into temptation and we stumble. We got to go to confession as soon as possible. And we got to go at least three times of the year anyways, right? Every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless, and we'll chat with you very soon. <laughs>